LinkedIn presents. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, where your source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development, where we share original research, explore industry trends, and interview executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We hope you join us often for practitioner-oriented content around all things related to leadership, HR, talent management, organizational development, and change management. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Do you enjoy the Human Capital Innovations Podcast? Enjoy ad-free listening by going to the Patreon page, and please consider contributing even at the producer or sponsorship level. And please leave a review. Thank you for your support. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Dale Rose about the trends we are seeing in 360 feedback in the current business landscape. Dale Rose, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thanks, John. Great to be here. It is a pleasure to be with you today. You're joining us from Berkeley. I'm south of Salt Lake City in Utah. And today we're going to be talking about 360 feedback, kind of the ins and outs of 360. I think most in the audience are familiar with and have probably participated in 360 feedback in the past. So we'll talk about how things have shifted over time and really current business trends and and the current business landscape and how that's impacting 360 feedback and how 360 feedback can assist leaders as we're trying to develop um, the the employees and the leaders of tomorrow with the skills and competencies and capabilities to be effective. So that's what we'll be discussing and unpacking together today. As we get started, I wanted to share Dale's bio with everybody. Dale Rose co-founded 3D Group in 1994 on the premise that leaders and organizations could drastically improve their effectiveness by listening and responding to honest employee feedback. After more than 20 years of this kind of work, he's an expert in leadership development, talent assessment, and organizational effectiveness. He co edited the handbook of a strategic 360 feedback uh, with Oxford Press, where he, his co-editors, and 50 brilliant authors made the case that 360 feedback could be powerful beyond individual development. Anything else, Dale, that you would like to particularly highlight from your background or personal context before we dive on in? Yeah, I'm, I'm an industrial organizational psychologist, so I've got kind of pretty pretty deep roots in both kind of the quantitative side and the social side of how you use feedback. And to me, it's the blend of those things that make it most powerful. Yeah, that well, that's great. All right, let's dive in. Why, in, in your uh, view, and you've been in this space for a really long time, why is 360 feedback so important to organizations and to leaders today, and maybe walk us through a little bit of of how uh, it happens uh, within organizations or how it can happen. Yeah, so one of the interesting things, we've been doing benchmarking studies for a while on 360s, and one of the things we find is that people, when you say 360 feedback, kind of know know it as many different things. Yeah. So we, we try to kind of be really specific, and we think about 360 feedback as a quantitative survey that addresses desired behaviors from from the organization 
and allows employees an opportunity to provide anonymous feedback to their leaders that they can use to be more effective. And that anonymous piece uncovers, I think, a hidden hidden information that can be hard to share one-on-one, face-to-face. The key is, though, that by using quantitative uh, measures, you're able to compare how different people perceive you. One of the tricky parts of 360s is it's not you know, sort of an objective fact. In fact, it's very much subjective. Your direct reports may see you really different than the way peers do. I think the fundamental bit is at an individual level. And what we started talking about in our book and um, in the work we do is when you take that individual effect and you aggregate it up and do, say, 40 360s within one department and then start looking at trends within then you start getting great insight. So it's kind of a twofer, if you will. You get the individuals can get their own development. But then also, if you can look at the trends within the social system and what, you know, are we seeing um, uh, trends against innovation, for example, where people are, you know, avoiding taking risks, things like that. So I think that's where we're really seeing sort of an evolution, if you will, of 360s, where the individual at the individual level, it may not change a ton, but at the organizational mm-hmm. level, it can make a huge difference the way you implement. Yeah. Uh, and you've described, again, you know, mixed methods, right? It, it can be a combination of quantitative and qualitative. There's lots of different forms of 360s. I've, I myself have probably taken, I don't know, at least half dozen fairly different um, formats and, and, and approaches to 360 feedback over my career to this point. Um, what, what, has been your approach and your organization's approach to structuring and administering 360 feedback uh, in particular? And and how have you shifted and and seen those types of things change over the last couple of decades? Yeah. So I think there's kind of two big things I've seen that I've seen have uh, where we've really evolved in, in a practice and as a science. The first is there used to be a real orientation toward standardized, structured, sort of here's leadership, we've got leadership, it's core leadership. And I think now we're moving much more in the direction. It was always there a little bit, but we're moving much more in the direction of customized content that really links to strategy, right? So an organization can go in, say, well, even a department can go and say, hey, we're we're too stuck in the mud. We're too uh, unwilling to take risks and we need to innovate to be able to be on the cutting edge. So you can start crafting behaviors into your surveys that 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 achieve those aspirational goals and start communicating to leaders what you're looking for. So I think that ability to customize content to drive strategy is one key thing that we've found as a great lever. You can use an off-the-shelf tool to get that individual impact and it can be very valuable, but I think that 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 customized content can achieve that second level. Uh, and so, and then the second bit is around how you help leaders use feedback. So giving somebody feedback isn't really enough, right? I can get a report, but if I'm defensive, yeah. if I'm, you know, I don't, I, don't, I, mean, I don't know, maybe one of the six times you tried it, you were like, I don't know if I want to look at this right now. <laughs> uh, you know, it's getting through that that experience and trying to translate numbers and and quantitative or qualitative information into what do I do with it? We found that in one hour, a feedback coach can get somebody off of that defensiveness and into the one to three feedback, you know, actionable uh, items that they can they can really work on to move the dial and prioritize. So I think that use we we see in our data, we're we're seeing that as many as eighty eight percent of companies are using feedback coaches 
in that focused way. That's not like we're not talking executive coaching six months. That kind of stuff. We're talking like one hour of here, let me help you really think about this feedback well and distill mm -hmm. it down to one of three things. So those are the things that we're seeing. The other thing I would see from a trend standpoint, I guess, is um, it's senior leadership is really significantly behind this tool and use it effectively, I think. I mean, not every organization uses it effectively, but but many, many um, organizations there, you know, all the way up to the very top, um, you know, CEOs, CFOs, it's not just the CHRO that's trying to like convince everyone. I think we're seeing that real C-suite support um, come through. As I reflect back on some of the different types of, you know, the half dozen that I've done, some have been accompanied with a good quality introduction, you know, with, and then you do the 360 and then you have a good debrief and maybe not one-on-one -on -one coaching, but at least some good, you know, unpacking of the results. So you can try to take away some, uh, some good actionable steps, uh, that, that coaching piece really does seem important, or at least a really good quality debrief <laughs> with, with the individuals doing the 360 so that people do know where to go from there. And, you know, those, those people who are open to growth and development, they're, they're the ones that are going to take it and they're going to run with it anyways, but there are always going to be individuals who, for whatever reason, are just going to be resistant. Uh, they're going to be skeptical or they just don't know how. So they're, they're going to get it. And then they're just going to look at it and feel demoralized and overwhelmed and just not know how to move forward. And those are the people that really need that coaching. Uh, and, and really probably anyone would benefit from having that one-on-one -on -one coaching following the usage of, the, of a tool like this. Yeah, I think I think that's right. I think the the you know it's real interesting. You're right. The people who are already motivated, already there, are likely to be able to to work with it. They're they're not going to have resistance to get over. Um, but even those folks, sometimes there'll be some confusion. Like, how do I make sense of this? These guys yeah. say X, but these guys say Y. And just having an expert help you work through what some of those differences are and how you work with them can make a huge difference. I think, um, you know, again, it, you know, it's it's tricky at scale, right? If you've got 3,000 managers, you're trying to get feedback, doing that for, you know, individual coaching for those folks is going to be a little rough. Uh, yeah. But, uh, you know, at, certainly at the executive level and at key strategic areas, I mean, you know, high potentials, uh, you know, folks where you really want to make sure they understand the impact they're having. You know, one of the interesting things I find is, Somebody will come to me and say, oh, you know, gee, these scores are different than the last time I did this. And, and um, you know, I don't really understand why they're so different. I'm like, well, do you have different raters? Well, we're talking small numbers here. So if there's, say, 10 people rating you, if three of them have a yeah. different rating profile, like it's going to change your number. So comparing time one, time two, that kind of thing, it, it doesn't really work. So what I always say is, what you're really trying to do in looking at a 360 is to understand today how you're impacting this group of people through this lens of a strategic set of behaviors that you should be exhibiting as a, as a leader. But it's interestingly, it's really this interaction, right? It's not just an individual. It's like, well, I am a this. This doesn't reflect who I am as a leader. Well, no, it doesn't reflect who you are as a leader. It reflects who you are as a leader in 
conversation with these other people. And it's that interaction effect that I think 360 uniquely provides, right? It's very like just radically different than a personality assessment. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, I would contend you really can't measure personality with a 360 because it's it's observed behavior by others. It's, it's very different uh, than what's going on in here. Yeah. And, and I, as I reflect back, I also think about, you know, my own potential resistance um, to, to some of the feedback I've received in the reports. And like you said, sometimes you get conflicting information. Sometimes, you know, it, it's called 360 for a reason. You want to be able to see, you know, what, how people perceive you from various angles. And, you know, I might feel good about or, or, or agree with or resonate with the feedback from one angle, but not from another. And, and, and wrestling through that um, is always a little bit of a tricky thing. And one thing that I found, you know, that at times I've been inclined to do is I'll look at feedback, you know, from a particular group in the 360, where maybe it's, it'll be framed as an opportunity for development or for growth, or maybe a weakness that I need to work on. And what they're pointing out is something I actually have, I'm actually proud of, like, I don't want to change. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, like, right. like, it's something like, I understand why they would view it that way. But I actually think um, I actually, I just disagree. Like, I, I get it, but I just completely disagree. <laughs> no, I think, you that, know, that's really common. I see that with leaders all the time. And, and what I always say is feedback is not a mandate, right? This is not a mandate for change. This is an opportunity for you to understand someone's point yeah. of view. So a, a perfect example I run into all the time. I, 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 I love saying that micromanaging is a good thing to do. People go, what are you talking about? That's horrible. We shouldn't micromanage. We should empower. Well, yeah, except for when you have really poor performers. You have yeah. a really poor performer. Yeah, okay. So when when you have a, maybe you have a group of poor performers that are, and you're trying to build this team up and get people, you know, leveled up to expectations. They give you feedback that you don't give them enough autonomy, that you, you know, uh, uh, provide too much structure. Uh, I mean, okay, yeah, I see your point of view, but I disagree that I should change that. <laughs> you know, right. so I think that's the point is, is, and then, but what it does is it gives you an opportunity to go to them and say, hey, I understand your point of view. Let's talk about this. What I would love to empower you. I'd love to give you this autonomy. Help me get there. And in order to get there, here's what I need from you. Right. So, so I think the other thing 360s can do is they can start conversations. Mm -hmm. What we've mm -hmm. started to see is that when you do this within a system, right? And I use just the department as an example, but honestly, you could do it for a whole company. But if you work with a department of 40, 40 leaders, and you you cascade it down through all those levels. You're messaging expected behaviors, but you also end up getting each, you get all these leaders talking with yeah. each other up, down, and sideways about wow, how they can perform better and what understanding each other, following up the feedback with, hey, uh, you know, I understand what you're saying about autonomy here, but you know, we really need to, to talk about your performance because that's what I need to change in order for me to change my behavior. Now you're having the conversations you need to have to move the organization forward. And if you do that across an entire system, you can really move things forward as a group in a, in a meaningful way. So I think it's, it's a great point that, that it's not a mandate, right? You're, you have to, you have to process the information and decide 
where do I go with this? And I think some leaders make the mistake of saying, oh, I got to go do this. I, you know, mm. you got you to gotta step back and decide what's the right, what's the right response to this feedback. Yeah. And hopefully, <clears throat> as I self-reflect, you know, I'm hopefully being intellectually honest enough and emotionally secure enough and mature enough to, <laughs> to be able to take, you know, what I'm receiving and, and, and look for the value in it. Uh, I don't always have to agree with it, but hopefully I'm not, hopefully that's not like just a, a, a tactic to, you know, say, I'm not resistant. I just don't agree because they're wrong. You know, like oh, that can happen. No, it can that be can, a tactic. <laughs> yeah. That can happen too. Right. So hopefully I'm, I'm, I'm secure enough, mature enough and, and, and intellectually honest enough um, to, to be able to have that wrestle. And if I come down on, yeah, but there are core things that I just, I need to be doing with this particular person or with this particular segment or whatever. I can't necessarily just change everything because of this one instance of feedback. Um, you know, that's good, but at least you've gone through the wrestle of it. Uh, and, and you've challenged yourself and you've challenged your assumptions. I think that's important. And then, like you said, one of the greatest values of a tool like this is to be a catalyst for conversation right? It's a catalyst, certainly for self-reflection, or at least it should be. Um, but it needs to be a catalyst for conversation. And as I reflect on the half dozen times I've done this in the past, only one or two of the times was it actually utilized that way. Um, they were always utilized as a self-reflective tool, uh, or perhaps a development tool, but almost never have they been utilized for ongoing organizational conversations, uh, for change conversations and, and all the different things you were just outlining. Uh, and that's a really big missed opportunity, especially if, you know, as an organization, you're investing in these tools, um, you're investing in the time, the resources, um, the energy for people to be going through this. Don't fall into the trap and make the mistake that many do to just, you know, have a session, have a debrief, and then you shelve it, you put it, you know, away and, and people don't really think about it much anymore. That's what often happens. And, and clearly that's not going to have that. That's not going to produce the kind of outcomes um, that we can have. Otherwise, if we leverage this as an ongoing uh, resource for those ongoing conversations. And I think, yeah, in a sort of a systemic approach, right, too, where yeah. if you're just doing individuals, if you do groups of individuals and you structure it in the right way, you can you can uh, get those conversations going. One of the most important conversations is to follow up with your manager and your manager doesn't have to see the report to know, you know, but but you might, uh, you know, so if HR is out there thinking, well, how do I how do I, you know, get this to happen, require managers to meet with their directs around their feedback. Again, looking at the report can be sensitive. Also, you can end up with six or seven reports. It's a lot of data to read through. Mm -hmm. But at minimum, you can require them to meet and say, hey, what did you learn? What are the three things you're going to go work yeah. on? Which puts some accountability for change into them into the process. You can also involve that manager by having them approve who the raters are so they're involved up front. So I think that's a key conversation that you can encourage across the organization at the individual or at the group level that will get things moving in the right direction. Um, again, you've got to be mindful of the culture you're in and the levels of trust and the experience. Yep. But the but the other second layer that I think is interesting that often gets overlooked is one of the things we see in the data all the time is that talent management is is um, 
a difficult task for leaders. So there's like this funny double um, edge sword here where someone getting feedback, if they're going to go meet with their manager and talk through what they need to work on, you're now providing their manager with an opportunity to improve their management of their individual by giving them a structured way to have a conversation that's otherwise kind of difficult, right? It's difficult mm -hmm. to, to, to sort of sit down and go, okay, we're going to have a development conversation. And how do I do that? How do I even, ah, I'm busy. I got to get work done. I'm going to go do that. So I think you actually can benefit those, those managers by giving them a mechanism. They've, they've provided feedback. They know the items. Their feedback's not anonymous. So anything where there's big deltas, the individual can say, hey, why did you rate me a two on this? You know, I, I thought I was doing great. Oh, well, again, let's have the conversation, right? So I think it can provide uh, an individual's manager also a development opportunity on helping their direct develop just through the process. Um, if it Again, if it's done right, I think you, you've teed it up yep. very well that you really have to introduce it well, put the structures in place. Uh, do it for the right reasons. Um, you know, all these things make all the difference for sure. I have another question for you. I'm, I'm thinking of one instance. It struck me as odd and even perhaps a little damaging <laughs> um, uh, when when uh, there was a particular team that did this. Um, you know, people got their individual reports, but then they put up on the screen, they put like the comparison. So you had the different competencies that were addressed in the 360 and then you had each person's name and then you had like direct comparisons of what their oh. aggregate scores were uh and and i just remember being in that meeting and i actually had pretty high scores so i, I wasn't like personally like embarrassed or anything but i just thought why like this seems like a really individual kind of thing and it doesn't seem it doesn't seem like it's even appropriate from a quantitative standpoint to be making those types of comparisons because you have totally different groups of people evaluating different people. Right. Like I said, I mean, that, that you could have inherited a group of, uh, you know, your team that is struggling and you're trying, like, it's not a person indicator yeah. in so many ways, right? It's an indicator of how a person is working with a particular group at a big particular point of time. I mean, I, I remember working with one manager one time, bravest manager I ever met in this regard, and um, she had a group of unionized employees that worked for her. Um, there were like 25 of them. And she picked all of the people she knew disliked her the most. Mm. You know, and she was like, I just want to look at like, I want to see how bad it is. Like, what's the worst there is? And if I can start there and work my way forward, I can get this team where I want them to be. So if you think of somebody like that being thrown up on the board like that, it's like, whoa, I didn't realize this was like, a, you know, I mean, you know, so you don't understand, you don't know what, how people have picked those raters or what the, per you know, I mean, I, a lot too much going on. I would, I would never, never do that. That sounds like a really unfortunate way to use the, use the process. I, I have seen it done where you can compare yourself to the group average. Sure. But that's never broadcast, right? I mean, that's a personal yeah that's a personal comparison. Wow. That's rough. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it just illustrates, you know, I've been bringing up these examples because I think everyone who's in the audience today has probably had some experience with these in the past. And depending on how well or how poorly it was handled, you might have been a little bit jaded and you might be like, eh, I'm not really sure I want to do this in the future. The point is if, if it, 
if the tool wasn't utilized well or implemented well, it could have been a bad experience, but that doesn't mean the tool itself is a bad thing. Uh, and, and certainly it can be leveraged moving forward um, in, in a more positive way. So, so don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, I guess I'm suggesting like there are bad examples and there are times where people uh, probably, uh, you know, had less than ideal experiences but we can learn from those and then we can do it better the next time and, and leverage things in a better way. Yeah, no, no doubt. Yeah. We, we run, I mean, we love it when someone, we don't love it because it's horrible. Someone went through it, but we run into people all the time that come to us and say, well, we've had this really bad experience with 360. It was misused this way. It's misused that way. And I think that's, you know, our focus is giving guidance around how to implement well and not, not just out of the book, right? It's one thing to have written the book, but you have to, you have to approach it from what's the most practical way to get this done well. And, and I think you have to look at history in the organization. You have to look at, you know, reputation of HR expertise that's available. Um, you know, we, we've, we run this process in bakeries where they don't have emails and you just, you have to have paper surveys of all mm-hmm, things. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, back in the day, there were a lot of paper surveys, but you know, so you just, you have to look at the local environment, the local context, and, and I think put a lot of thought into it, but we do run into a lot of um, folks within HR who haven't had the expertise or the kind of guidance around how to do it really well. And they're kind of making it up as they go and all out of good intent, but they can stumble into things, right? Yeah. Like even the example you gave of like, Hey, this will really motivate people to want to, yeah, okay. But there's unintended consequences. So I think, yeah, it's, it's being thoughtful. Um, but, but having a partner that can really help you think it through. I think we, we usually, it's usually folks that we're working with in this context are folks that have gone out and found some software package that they could kind of run and it was on the cheap and, and it doesn't really get you what you want. It's not, it, 360 is not software. It's a lot more yeah. than that. And so implementation guidance, I think, you know, and, and um, even from peers, we'll, we'll run some programs sometimes where we will get peer groups together who are implementing 360s. So they can share their own practices and talk to each other. How did you figure this out? What did you do with this problem? How did you scale that? And uh, those, I think, can be powerful. Yeah, well said. Well, Dale, I know at the time I need to let you go here in just a minute. But before we wrap things up for today, I wanted to give you a chance to share with the audience how they can connect with you, find out more about your work, your team, and then give us the final word on the topic for today. Yeah, so best way is at our, our website www.3dgroup.net. You can find out lots about us there. I'm also at drose at 3dgroup.net. So feel free to reach out to me directly. Um, And I think, you know, I would just say, you know, as we've been talking about in terms of, um, you know, how you're going to implement, you know, focus on quality, focus on context, but also get, get, it's really key. The success and failure has to do with working with uh, someone who's had the experience and expertise to implement according to your environment. If you do that, you're going to be successful. Yep. Well said, Dale. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. I encourage the audience to reach out, get connected, find out more about what Dale and his team can do for you. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe. Now you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. Do you enjoy the Human Capital Innovations Podcast? Enjoy ad-free listening by going to the Patreon page. And please consider contributing even at the producer or sponsorship level. And please leave a review. Thank you for your support.
thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.